title of this message, it's the last installment on this series of justification, sanctification, salvation, and glorification. And this is the last, glorification. And to understand the word glory, we have to return to the place we always have to return, Bereshit, in the beginning. Everything else after the beginning is commentary explaining what God did in the beginning. The physical creation was filled with God's glory. Yet in all the vastness of the heavens and the variety of life on earth, there is one creature who is separated out to reveal a unique portion of God's glory. Man was in this world, but he was not of it. He had a body like other beasts of the field, but man is uniquely described as being created in the image and the likeness of God and placed within a garden planted by him and separated out from the rest of the world. That garden had boundaries. Life in the garden was different from life outside it. In the garden, life was sustained by the glory of God. Nothing had to die to sustain the life of another. God provided for every need, and without want, without need, there was peace. The word shalom, peace, in Hebrew, actually comes from a root which means to be safe, to be full. And the peace was full. The time man, man spent in the garden in this unique place was also holy. It was separated out. It was a moed, an appointed time called Shabbat, which is a word that means rest. God desired to dwell in rest and peace with man for eternity. And as I've said so many times before, that is precisely why the seventh day was never closed. We never read, and it was evening and morning the seventh day. God did not want that condition to end. Shabbat is the only moed, the only appointed time, or what we call holy days, that exists outside of time as we reckon time. It was supposed to be an eternal condition. Leviticus 23 describes the various Moedim, the various holy days of God, and begins with Shabbat. The other holy days reveal signposts, locations on the road to return, Derech Shuvah, the road to returning to that condition of rest and peace after the man sinned. It's like there was this eternal line and we dropped out in a little loop and are returning to that condition of rest. The Shabbat is the only moed, the only appointed time mentioned in the ten words God spoke at Sinai. The command for this day is to do no work and to remember. In Exodus chapter 20 we are told that we are to remember the rest and the peace that we enjoyed on the seventh day, we ought to remember the creation. 
and the rest in peace of Shabbat. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, we are to remember our redemption from Egypt and the hope that God would once again return us to the condition of Shabbat. What the whole purpose of, of the land of Israel, a land flowing with milk and honey, a place where we could live in safety, shalom, and peace, as long as we walked in the ways of God. It was the same promise to Adam. If you will walk my, in my ways, there'll, there'll never be any death. They'll be, you'll be safe. You'll dwell in the land safety, in safety. Shabbat, for my people, is singularly the most important day of the week. We prepare to enter into it, and then when it's over, we begin that preparation once again. Shabbat is the focal, focal point. At Sinai, Israel was made Shomer or Shomer Shabbat, the protectors of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a unique concept in the world at the time. No other culture had a day of rest. Other nations existed totally immersed in the curse that was received when man was expelled from the garden. The earth will no longer give forth its fruit freely. You will work if you're going to eat. Israel was given a weekly respite from this curse. One day out of seven, we were told that we can just rest, relax, bask in the light of God's presence. Don't worry about all this other stuff. Seek first the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Just rest. Other nations considered Israel as Greece, for instance, lazy because we didn't work seven days a week. God was making us holy by not working on one day out of seven. God is first revealed into this world as a wind in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. The Ruach, Haruach Elohim, the wind or spirit of God, your Bible say hovered over the face of the deep, and that's sort of accurate. But the word there is mechavet, <coughs> which means it's like a bird hovering over its nest, brooding over its nest. And on the first day, God revealed his light into the world. So we see God revealed as a wind and then as light. Man created in God's image and likeness found life when the wind of God was breathed into him and he was filled with the light of God's presence. This is understood by my people by making a comparison. It is also found in, in the Proverbs as well and I'll deal with that here momentarily. And they reason if Moshe shined after being hidden in the cleft of a rock and having a portion of God's glory pass before him externally, how much more Adam, who was 
created as an earthen vessel into which God's glory or light was poured in internally. So they reasoned Adam was a creature of light. When man rebelled against God, God's glory was diminished in the man. He lost his glorious sheen, that light became more dim. He no longer had access to the tree of life, and he began to die. And he no longer was at rest and peace, and now had to work to sustain his nephesh, the life of this flesh, the earthly breath. To review last week, the effects of Adam's fall was passed on to his children. The sins of the fathers will be passed on to the children. Adam was created in the image and likeness of God and placed in Gan Eden. In Genesis 5, we are told that Adam's son, Sheth, was born in the image and likeness of Adam, of man, after he was removed from Gan Eden. Adam and all who came after him all sinned and fell short. They inherited a diminished portion of God's glory. The first man, Adam, broke the creation. The second man, Yeshua, came to fix it. He spoke to Nicodemus and told him that he must be born again, born from above, if he is to see the kingdom of God. This rebirth represents tikkun Adam, the restoration of man. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us that the first man was of the earth, and the second man was from heaven, a life-giving wind, a life-giving spirit, a breath of life, if you will. The second Adam, Yeshua, gave us the opportunity to be born again into the image and likeness of God, not the image of man after the fall. That's what born again means. It relates all the way back to Genesis, as everything does. To be born again as a child of light, once again, and have access to the tree of life, eternal life. Man in the garden during Shabbat was the first tabernacle of God on earth. The this creature, this place, and this time was the repository of the divine glory of God. In Yeshua, that tabernacle, that temple is being restored. Yeshua gives us a promise in Matthew eleven twenty-eight: Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you Shabbat, rest. And as the Lord of the Shabbat, he will fulfill his promise given in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. There remains for every believer a Shabbat Shabbaton, a Sabbath of rest, a complete and full rest for those who believe. This is why we say Shabbat Shalom. May your rest be full, complete, glorious. In Matthew 5, verse 14, Yeshua commands the children of light to reveal their glory 
the glory of the one who fills them. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Over the last three weeks now, I have emphasized that the words justification and sanctification apply to our nephesh, which is translated in Leviticus 17 as the life of the flesh, the nephesh, this earthly breath, this body. The earthen vessel into which was poured the glory of God. Salvation reveals our transition from this life into the next. The word salvation does not apply to man in this world, olam hazeh. In fact, those who, are, who embrace God's salvation, Yeshua, will have trouble in this world. We're not saved from that trouble. We have trouble. We incur the wrath of Satan. Hasatan, the accuser. Romans 5 tells us what Yeshua saved us from. He saves us from the wrath of God in the world to come, not this world. The new heaven and the new earth is the restored Gan Eden that all creation awaits. With the revelation of the sons of God, those who are reborn as creatures of light, that curse will be removed. Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 through 4. Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell with them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death or mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. Revelation 21, 23. The new Jerusalem will once again be immersed in God's glory, and the city will have no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God will illuminate it. Justification, sanctification, and salvation are the means by which one is moved to the final glorified state of man, returned, I should say, to that first glorified state of man. Paul speaks of glorification quite a bit in his letters, nowhere more than 1 Corinthians 15. And he tells us that whether by death or lakach, the word lakach means to be caught up or to be catched away. The church calls it the rapture, but there is no word rapture in, in the New Covenant. He's speaking about the word harpezio refers to what happened to Chanoch, Enoch, when he walked with God and was not. It is, it is precisely the word that is used to describe Elijah when he was lakach, taken up, caught away by God, and met him in the air. It's what Paul is referring to. Whether by death or lakach, being caught up to be with the Lord in the air, we are all changed. The dead will be raised incorruptible, never to die again. And we who are alive will also be changed. In the twinkling of an eye, we will put on immortality. We will never die. We will be caught up to be with the Lord of air. 
in the air, translated, if you will. The reason for this change is given in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. This flesh and blood body cannot exist. It, it would disintegrate in the realm of light. The way of all flesh is death. And man has to shed this physical vessel and be transfigured into a creature of life if he is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Today, as in the days of the apostles, and I have no idea what it is about man's proclivities, but we always want to know what cannot be known. We should more concentrate on the things that can be known and do those. But we want to know what we can't know. I'm sure God shakes his head a lot when he, when he watches us. I don't, I don't know how many times I, I lost count. People have asked me, what does that glorified body look like? The truth be known, outside of Adam and Chava, no man who has ever lived has any idea. For no man outside of Adam and the woman who was taken out of him have ever lived in that state. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, even the beloved disciple, the one Yeshua loved, wouldn't you love to have that description? There's Bert, the one Yeshua loves. I've got no more problems. Every care and every burden disappears. Poof. He says this, we are now children of God. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. So we can't know. We can conjecture. We can speculate. But it hasn't been revealed yet. We know that when Mashiach appears, we will be like him. For we will see him as he is. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 13. Now we three see through a glass dimly, but when the perfect comes, we will know perfectly. Not everything is capable of being understood in this world. In fact, the word olam, world, in, in Hebrew comes from a root which means to be hidden. And in olam hazeh, in this world, there are many things that are hidden. Primarily, the glory of God. It is revealed somewhat, but in a limited fashion. But although we cannot know the fullness of Yeshua's eternal nature, we are given a glimpse of how he appears when not clothed in flesh. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Yeshua started to shine like the sun. That state is called glorification by Yeshua. In John 17, 1, when he is speaking about his death, and he prays to, to God, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. When Yeshua died, he shed the facade of flesh. When his body died, 
That flesh obscured his glory, and he returned to his condition in eternity, which is described by John when he is taken up in the spirit and sees Yeshua. In chapter 1, verse 16, he describes Yeshua as his face shined like the sun in its brightness. Light. This is scripture's concept of glory. It is not profitable for us to exegete the word glory in English or the word glory in Greek. It is best to look at it, the Ivrit, in the Hebrew. Kavod, glory, is most often referred to as the presence of, of the Lord. And that presence is perceived as an intense light. The glory of God was terrifying to man in this body. It was in the past, it is now. In Exodus 24, Moshe and Yehoshua, Joshua, and they leave the 70 elders who had ascended a portion of the way up Mount Sinai. And they draw even closer, Moshe and Joshua draw closer to the cloud of glory that hovered, brooded, over the top of Mount Sinai. Verse 17 reveals how that cloud of glory appeared to those who saw it from below. And to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. When a portion of God's glory, he entered into that cloud. That's what they saw from below, but he entered into that consuming fire and as it turns out, it was not a consuming fire. Just like the bush that burned without being consumed, Moshe entered into that cloud, and he was not consumed. When a portion of God's glory passed before Moshe on the top of that mountain, God's glory was absorbed by him. His light was absorbed, even as he was being absorbed by the light. And he was transfigured. He began to shine with the light of God's presence so intensely that when he came down, the rest of Israel couldn't even stand to look at him. They had to put a veil over his face. He was a creature of light now, and that light shined round about. Everything in this creation is sustained by the light or the glory of God's presence. But not everything reflects God's glory in the same way. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 39 through 34. There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly another. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It, this body, is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Light. It is sown in weakness, raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual or a wind. Same word in Greek, pneuma. That spiritual body is a glorified body as it is referred to. The word 
Kavod in Hebrew means glory. But it comes from a root meaning weight, to be heavy. This is revealed in Exodus chapter 17, verse 12. The context of this verse is Israel is embroiled in a battle. And as long as the arms of Moshe remain raised, Israel is prevailing. Israel is winning. In verse 12, we're told, and the hands of Moshe became kavod, heavy. He could no longer keep them up. He didn't have the strength, and others had to come and raise his arms for him and hold them up. Those who walk in the weight of God's glory will always have trouble in this world, always. For this world is an enemy of God. And if you are for him, you are against the world. Paul describes this battle in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and encourages those who are suffering in the world in verses 16 through 18. We do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison. I absolutely bear witness of Paul's words. I borrow a line from Dick Van Dyke when I introduce myself to others these days. Hi, I'm what's left of Bert Yellen. I heard him say that the first time. I didn't stop laughing for three days. I am that. The power and the glory of my youth is gone. It's left. But as the glory of this nephesh, this life of flesh, sets and begins to fade, the glory of my neshoma, that breath of God, is rising, and it's shining more brightly. I am leaving this world. This world is fading before my eyes. I'm forgetting the knowledge of this world. This world means less to me every day. I'm not even mostly in it anymore. I don't remember much about what goes on in this world. I pay almost no attention. I am spending more time every day in eternity than I am here. And this world is fading before my eyes, just going away. Why does Paul talk about the inner man, the neshama, the breath of God? Why does it talk about it being renewed day by day? Because my neshama is more ancient than the body that it fills. My neshama began in the heavenly places. 
It is the breath of my God. As God's breath, it is eternal. It has always been. It has always it always will be. This body, like grass, its glory rises up and fades. My Neshama remembers remembers the glory of God. Mine Shoma saw God before this birth. I don't remember it because I hadn't been created. My mind had not been created yet, so I can't remember what I've never remembered. How's that for a philosophy? But my soul remembers. And that memory is being renewed day by day. The weight of God's glory was carried by Yeshua himself. Luke chapter 24, verse 26. Was it not necessary for the Mashiach to first suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Describes it in John 17. Father, glorify his son. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. He's speaking of the Mount of Transfiguration. There was nothing about Yeshua's appearance that would draw us to him. That was the prophecy in Isaiah. But at the Mount of Transfiguration, we saw his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In John chapter 1, verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light of God's presence is life. Yeshua refers here to Proverbs chapter 20, verse 27. It's, it's an obvious reference to those who integrate the Tanakh with the Brit Hadashah, the New Covenant. Ner Nishmat Adam. The light of God is the neshama of man. That breath he was breathed that was breathed into me is light. It's why I refer to that image and likeness of God as a luminescent vapor, a wind that contained the light of God himself. And that was breathed into me. At his birth, Yeshua exchanged the glory of the heavenly for the diminished glory of the earthly. And at his death, he exchanged the glory of the earthly for the glory of the heavenly. Us too. When we die, we exchange the glory of this flesh for the glory of the heavenly. Whatever that is, and it is irrelevant, we are like Yeshua when he, because we now see him as he is. In that glory, glorified body, we are able to enter the place that he has been preparing for us since he resurrected, that where he is, 
we shall be also. I'm trying desperately to tie all these concepts together so that we have a fullness of understanding of precisely what Yeshua did for us. Because all will be resurrected. All will feel the weight of God's glory. And none will be able to stand in the presence of that weight and every knee will bow. The weight of God's glory will bring us to our needs. Yochanan, the beloved disciple, who told us, be confident that the Lord's return, he also felt the weight of this glory when he beheld Yeshua in glory, in eternity. And the scriptures say he laid at his feet like one who is dead. He could not stand. And that's the beloved disciple, the one Yeshua loved more than any other. Even he couldn't stand before that glory, the weight of that glory in eternity. But as John, the children of light will hear the words, do not be afraid. And they will be raised into everlasting life in the presence of God's glorious light. The children of darkness will experience the wrath of God, an eternal separation from the light and the life of his presence. And they will reside in outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Although I have looked at justification and sanctification and salvation and glorification separately, these words are all connected. They are inextricably tied to one another. They cannot be separated. In Yeshua, we have been justified. Our past sins have been forgiven. In his name, we are sanctified, separated from this world unto God. In that name, we have been saved from the wrath of God reserved for the ungodly who deny the truth. And in that name, I will be glorified. Reborn in the image of my creator as wind and breath and light. Psalm 24, verse 8, David asks a question. Who is the king of glory? David answers, the Lord strong and mighty. David's son, Shlomo, Solomon, poses this question as a riddle. Proverbs 30, verse 4, has application to the New Covenant portion today. That's why I chose it. Who has ascended into heaven and descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped the waters in his garment? Who has established the ends of the earth? What is his name? What is his son's name? Surely you know. Indeed, I came to know that name, and I declare it. Yeshua, who Adon, Jesus, he is Lord. Yeshua is the king of glory. Kol kavod, all glory 
to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, for he has accomplished these things in our sight, and they are wonderful. They are marvelous in our eyes, as David also put it. At Yeshua's first coming, he made his face to shine upon us. We beheld the glory of his face. And he made that face to shine upon us, and he was gracious to us. May he return quickly, that we might enter into the fullness of his rest. And then he will lift up his face upon us and give us peace. Uh, maybe I will. This was a relatively short message for me. Why is peace the last words of the benediction? Parable was formed to reveal to us. A young man comes to an old wise man and says, what is the most precious commodity I can seek in this world? The old, the old man says, well, peace. The young man quibbles. I'm not sure peace is what I'm looking for. The old wise man says, well, then you're looking for the wrong thing. Father, in Yeshua's name, all glory to the Prince of Peace. You have reconciled us to our God. We are now at peace with our God. You have revealed his faith. If we have seen you, we have seen the Father. You broke out of what was hidden in this world. The glory of the divine. And you revealed all that we could possibly apprehend about that glory. Lord, we pray for you to return quickly. that outside this body, we would learn the rest. We will praise you for all eternity, Lord. For you alone are worthy. Shem Yeshua, amen.